You are listening to the Quarter Transmissions Episode 5. And now, here are Craig and Jeff. She turned her tender eyes to me as deep as any ocean, as sweet as any harmony. Oh, she blinded me with science. She blinded me with science. Blinded me with science. And failed me in biology. When I'm dancing close to her. Hello, and here we are in episode five of the Tricorder Transmissions. This week, we are talking about The Enemy Within. I am Craig, and I have along with me... This is Jeff. And interestingly enough, um, it seems like the last couple weeks in all the intros, we've we've been able to talk about something Star Trek-related. Yeah, some, some newsworthy stuff. And, yeah, and you this know. week is no different as Star Trek is in the news again. Do you want to uh, talk about... Um, one of the the two stories that we have? It is a little bit slower of a news week, but we do have a couple of things. And Shatner is appearing at a big convention called Dragon Con uh, down in Atlanta this weekend. It's Labor Day weekend. And uh, I know somebody who actually has gone down there every year so far and has planning to go down to see Shatner. I wish I could go, but... Uh, just timing doesn't work out for me. So no no Shatner at Dragon Con for me this year. I, I have a feeling it's going to be really hot down there, though. Oh, I can imagine. Yeah, I know Um, friend of the show, Guy Hutchinson, he, co-ho- he co-hosts a podcast called uh, The Adventure Club mm-hmm. with John Jay. And John Jay um, actually moderates a couple panels down at Dragon Con. I know he's he's way into it. So um, maybe if he has a uh, a Shatner encounter we can we can bring him on and talk about it uh and please make sure you get the story from um from your friend who's going down uh, is he doing autographs and pictures or is it more just uh like a a panel or something well i know the last time uh that that uh, he was there he did do pr- uh, pictures but they were professional only okay so, so it was probably what like 80 80 bucks or something i i don't know the price yeah. i didn't ask but uh I know that um, you could do autographs at the table and uh, you, you had to sign up to do the professional shots and, and you know, it was they fill up quick. So you kind of have to move quick when you get there. Yeah, yeah. I'd imagine they only allot a certain amount of time for the professional photo op and they, you know, they do some quick math and figure out how many they can sell. Yeah, well, I'm yeah. sure they won't have a problem selling out Shatner photo ops. Yeah, and it seems interesting. I know uh, back in August, um, they had the Star Trek convention in Vegas, which mm-hmm. Shatner was at. And in October, he's going to be up in this area in New York at Comic-Con. Yep. So it seems like he's he's doing a lot of uh, a lot of the conventions, which is kind of cool. Yeah, I guess he's, he's cramming in as much as he can. I'm sure he makes a pretty mint off of those conventions. So, you know, if he can cram in a weekend here and a weekend there and you know, do his other stuff when he's not doing that. I guess he can probably still rake in quite a good hefty sum of cash. Yeah, and maybe with some of that extra cash, he could pick up a copy <laughs> of 
Into Darkness on Blu-ray when it comes oh, out boy. Uh, next week. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I guess we got we've got to get into this one, huh? Yeah. So Into Darkness was uh, you know, the new Star Trek movie that came out this summer. It was the sequel to the 2009 sort of reboot, if you want to call it that. And one of the frustrating things for a lot of fans is they announced the special features for the Blu-ray and a lot of the features that people would normally want are retailer exclusives. For example, mm-hmm. the commentary track with director J.J. Abrams is only going to be available on the iTunes version. Yep. <laughs> yep. So uh, the standalone uh, Blu-ray is going to have basically what amounts to electronic press kit material featurettes. Yeah. Um, it's really a shame because with Blu-ray, uh, one of the main advantages was you had all this storage space. So mm-hmm. you could put the movie on there and then you could fit hours of other content. Yep. Yep. It's a shame. So I was listening earlier. I was in the car. I had another podcast on. It's a, a tech podcast, but this subject came up on that podcast and they used a phrase to describe this that I have never heard before, but I think is a great two-word phrase to describe this, and it's a consumer-hostile approach to media. Yes. Consumer-hostile. So uh-huh. you're, you're, the only people that you're, you're, you're pissing off are your, your clientele, your client base, your customer base. So, you know, there doesn't seem to be – I mean, you're offering incentives to these different stores – Mm-hmm. which makes the stores happy, but it pisses the people off. So uh, there's there seems to be more of a, a desire in these media companies to please retailers than to please their actual cons- customer base. Yeah, and, and, and it's a real shame because I think what happens is if you have somebody that might have been on the fence with picking up the, the, you know, the movie to own, they're just going to look at all the different versions that are out there, throw their hands up in the air and say, you know what? I don't need this movie at all. Yeah, yeah. I, I wish I could say that I was going to do that. Uh, yeah. But I know I'm going to wind up buying it on Blu-ray at some point. Uh, it's just where I'm going to get it from. So I guess I'm going to have to do some research and find out if the Target edition is better or the Best Buy edition is better. Or I, I'm not a big uh, digital movie buyer. So I'm not going to buy it on iTunes, commentary or no commentary. I just can't I can't do that. So yeah, and, and that's disc. the... Yeah, and that's the frustrating thing because I think going back to even as far back as Laserdisc, one of the main selling points of the special features was the commentary track. Mm-hmm. DVD, that was one of the big selling points. Every mm-hmm. time I got a DVD, if I you know looked on the back and saw it had a commentary track, boom. If I was on the fence, I was buying it. And when mm-hmm. they made the transition from DVD to Blu-ray, they started making – commentary tracks exclusive to blu-ray mm-hmm. which kind of bothered me but i said oh you know what they want to have people change formats upgrade to blu-ray i can sort of understand that mm. but this whole retailer exclusive thing if you want to give retailer exclusive to certain featurettes which i've seen in the past you know at best buy you get a bonus disc that has a 30 minute featurette on the stunts mm-hmm. you know you can do without without that to me a commentary track is too essential of a, a component of a, the special features to be broken off and offered as an incentive to a retailer. Mm-hmm. And you can't even get the commentary track from iTunes and then play it along with your Blu-ray on your TV set. Yeah. So you would have to have uh, you know, an Apple TV or some or Chromecast or some other way 
to play this on your television set. Yeah. Or else yeah. you're sitting in front of a computer watching it. Yeah, and and the the most interesting thing about this whole sort of thing is that with physical media being in the state that it's in or even the the purchasing of media in general being in the shape it's in mm-hmm. you'd think that this as you as you as you termed con, uh, consumer hostile uh, approach would be the wrong way to go you would think but you know a couple of months back i ran into the same problem not with a movie mm-hmm. but with an album so uh, I I was big into this band uh, called Rogue Wave, and uh-huh. uh, they had sent out a, a, a pre-release, uh, pre, pre-purchase special offer. If you pre-ordered the CD through them, you would get a, an early digital copy, and you'd get uh, an access to one of their pre uh, their soundcheck parties at one of their shows. Sure. So I went on there, and I looked, and I was like, hey, the, the disc comes with two bonus tracks. This is pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. So it was great. So I got this thing, and I'm happily I, the the disc comes in the mail. I'm happily listening to it. So I go to leave a review on iTunes, and guess what? There is another bonus track that's exclusive just to iTunes. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, wonderful! So now I have to buy that. So I bought that from iTunes. So I download that track. Doing other things, so I go to Amazon, and guess what? Yep. There's another one there that's not on iTunes, not on the CD. So they're sprinkling these things all over the place. So now you've got to make the rounds. You've mm-hmm. got to go around and buy an extra track here, an extra track there. They're not on the disc. So if I want to play the disc in my car, I'm not going to have these other two songs. Yeah. So I'm going to have to either rip the CD and burn an entire new one with the extra tracks. Or I'm going to have to MP3 all of them and you know put them on a flash drive and listen to them in the car. It's just so damn inconvenient oh yeah and at least there you had the option of buying the individual tracks right i remember a couple years ago there were certain exclusive itunes tracks that you couldn't get Mm -hmm. unless you brought bought the complete album yeah i think they've started to curb that practice because that's a really really shady practice yeah yeah so i don't know it's it's kind of disheartening to to hear this Mm -hmm. because if if this does move a lot of units other studios will take note and say, hey, you know what? Maybe this is the model that we should be following in. And then all of a sudden, um, yeah. you, you're going to have to start really choosing, you know, where to buy mm-hmm. your 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 media uh, yeah. based on what commentary or, or what special features uh, mean the most to you. I know it's 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 really a sin uh, yeah. as a, as a, a clinger on to physical media. This really bothers me because I'm I, I'm I've already vowed that I'm going to be buying physical media until I can't possibly buy it anymore. Mm-hmm. And I get a lot of flack for that from people, but I, I like to actually possess and own things. And uh, when, if I buy a movie, I've never actually bought a movie to download, but mm-hmm. if I ever did, I would just feel like I, I feel like I don't own anything. Like it could just vanish one day. Yeah. You know, and what if, what if one day the, the service that I bought it from goes down? Mm-hmm. And I can no longer get it, and I have to, I have the, just the copy on my hard drive, or you know, it just it seems like there's just too many variables. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, we could probably devote the rest of our hour that we, we could. normally uh, devote to the podcast to this subject. So why don't we talk about yeah. something positive yeah. that happened with you, Star Trek related this week? Oh, um, and it ties back into us both watching Star Trek Five, um, the what is that, the Undiscovered Country. 
the Final Frontier. Final Frontier. I always get those two confused. Yeah, I know the the the, the colon title is yeah. always a little. So Star yeah. Trek Five. Yeah, I. Uh, yeah. yeah, as it spurred by our conversation last week, uh, I, I and you had rewatched Star Trek Five, and then inspired me to rewatch Star Trek Five, uh, which for me is not torturous as it seems to be for everybody else. <laughs> So I got nostalgic after watching this, and uh, I was doing some research on the movie on the site Memory Alpha. Mm-hmm. Been to Memory Alpha, and I, I happened to notice that uh, there was such a thing. Uh, we were talking about. I, I looked up the marshmallow launcher just to see what was listed there, and then we started talking about it. And uh, you you sent me an eBay link. Yeah. To this, uh, the actual limited edition craft uh, marshmallow. Uh, dispensing thing that I, I didn't really realize existed. So I, I quickly, there were a couple of them on eBay too, and I jumped on it and I bought it and it's here now with me. So I, I actually possess a, uh, an, a new inbox unopened. Well, the box itself is open because it was a packing box, but the plastic uh, wrap around the marshmallow dispenser is not open, but it does in fact say uh, Star Trek V, The Final Frontier, craft marshmallow dispenser on it. And it comes with what a fork and a spoon. Yeah, and a belt clip, like a little carabiner style belt clip. So I'm gonna put a picture up on the website uh, when this when this episode launches, so that you can actually see the marshmallow dispenser. But I will say a really cool thing. I posted the picture today on Twitter, and I got a a very excited uh, tweet question from somebody that wasn't following me, asking mm-hmm. me where he could get one. Oh, wow. So I pointed him towards eBay, of course, since that's really the only place you could possibly get these since uh, they are quite old. Yeah, and, and it came. It also came with, what, a, a letter from Admiral Kirk? Yeah, there's, there's a slip of paper in there uh, telling you well, on one side of it says, uh, you know, join the Star Trek magazine fan club <laughs> thing. Yeah. And on the other side is a little letter uh, from signed by Admiral James T. Kirk. Uh, talking about the marshmallow dispenser. But the funny thing, of course, is that he was demoted before this movie came out, right? At the end of Star Trek IV, yeah. he's he's court-martialed and he's reduced in rank from Admiral down to Captain, but he still signs Admiral James T. Kirk. Yeah. And in the movie, isn't uh, Spock the one that's actually using the dispenser? Yep, Spock uses the marshmallow dispenser uh, to, to uh, give them some... Much needed roasted marshmallows in their camping trip there when they're uh, eating Dr. McCoy's special beans and yes. uh, singing Row, Row, Row Your Boat. Yeah. So I do know um, that uh, you did tweet uh, some pictures, and I know that the Tricorder Transmissions Twitter account um, retweeted that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then uh, also, like you said, you're going to post those pictures up on the TricorderTransmissions.com. Yep. Um, uh, with, when this episode goes up and uh, the tricordertransmissions.com is the site you can go to get all of our information you can get all our episodes you can get our contact information which in- includes um, our Twitter account and um, that is a, a really good portal to all things the tricorder transmissions now I know that we, we're taking up a lot of time on this intro but real quick I wanted to ask you uh, about a movie that we both saw this, uh, this past weekend um, The World's End yeah, fantastic. We right? uh, yeah. really, really enjoyed it. I was a big fan of the previous two movies in mm-hmm. this uh, quote-unquote trilogy. Yeah. Uh, you know, Shaun of the Dead and Hot, Hot Fuzz. Fuzz. Both yeah. I really, really liked. And my expectations, my hopes were very high for this. And mm-hmm. I have to say I came out very satisfied. Yeah. Uh, I, don't think, I, I don't think I could nitpick 
very much. I think they hit all the good points. Uh, pacing was pretty good, although some people say it's a little slow. I didn't really feel that way. Yeah. And I said the end, the ending was superb. Yeah, yeah. The one thing I noticed with it is having seen the marketing for this movie, and I saw very little, but I mean, I saw a trailer or two or a commercial here and there, but knowing that there is sort of a twist coming in the movie and it's not just about a bunch of guys on a pub crawl made me sort of able to sit back, watch these characters develop before they sort of got thrown into the action, which I thought was really neat. And I mean, yep. um, anytime you watch a movie, you know, from Edgar Wright and Simon Pegg and Nick Frost, um, at this point, you know, you know what you're going to get, you know, you're going to get some laughs. Um, you know, you're going to get a certain style of filmmaking. So um, I was willing to um, just sit back and go along for the ride. Yep. And uh, the payoff was definitely worth it. And uh, they made a nice little trio of films. Um, it's kind of interesting. I mean, the the ending of it kind of re reminded me of almost sort of like something you'd see in Doctor Who, which was kind of neat. Hmm. Yeah, it, 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 yes, I guess it kind of was. There was a... Yeah. I, I kind of think I, I like to look at this movie as a almost a fusion of Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz in a way. Mm -hmm. It's got elements of both. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, you got the small town with the weird goings on, kind of like yeah. it had in Hot Fuzz. And then you got that sort of zombie type thing yeah. going on with the with the robot people. So it was pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. It was yeah. pretty cool. And, and it's a, I think it, the the way the movie wrapped, I think it was a great way to, to close out that three movie yeah package and it was kind of it was a ballsy ending i mean they kind of deliver on the title of the movie they really they really do <laughs> they really do yeah, yeah I, that the whole the, the last there were two scenes at the end you know the the the, the for two different characters and i think mm -hmm. both of them were very well done yeah yeah one thing i think that those three movies do uh shawn of the dead hot fuzz and and the world's end are they approach male friendship in a way that you normally don't see it in the movies, mm -hmm. you know, and all three movies sort of cover it in a, in a different way. But I think that's really the emotional sort of through line through all those movies. It, it's sort of showing the relationships that, you know, platonic relationships or, you know, non-sexual relationships that men can have with each other. Sure. Absolutely. It, it, it's it's kind of neat to see because normally you don't see that, especially in a movie you know, like Hot Fuzz, which is kind of a send off of like action movies. You see this kind of really cool relationship between uh, Simon Pegg and, and Nick Frost. Yeah, I agree. And it, it seems to almost ring true because of the, the relationships that I have with with, with uh, some guy friends of my own that's it's there's more than just that kind of hey let's go watch football yeah yeah kind of thing going on so you, at least you can have some some meaningful conversations and and uh you know nostalgia and enjoy some common things that are not typically uh i guess showcased yeah. in these types of movies yeah and you know what it's one of those things where i think uh with with the long holiday weekend in front of us i wouldn't be surprised if i end up at the uh the theater uh seeing it again mm, yeah um, I, I might too, actually. I yeah. Might too. But before we do that, we have to sit down and watch this week's episode of Star Trek, The Enemy Within. Yes, we do. And I guess as as usual, we will go over the air dates. Mm -hmm. So original air date, October 6th of 1966 and remastered January 26th of 2008. Yeah, yeah. Very cool. And this is a, a neat episode. I, I look forward to uh, to talking about it. And um, I guess I'll give a quick 
summary to get us, you know, sort of uh, all on the same page in terms of what we have, you know, in front of us. Mm -hmm. A transporter malfunction splits Captain Kirk into two people, one good and one evil, and neither capable of functioning well separately. And boy, do we get a lot of Shatner in this episode. Oh, yeah. This is a great, great example of Shatner at his best. All right. So do you want to jump right into it? Yeah, let's give a three count. All right. So we will start in three, two, one. So this is kind of a neat episode uh, in the fact that it was written by a pretty famous writer, Mm. um, author Richard Matheson, who died actually earlier this year. Wow. Um, He's an author and a screenwriter. Um, his novels include I Am Legend, which has been wow. made into a movie like at least three times. Yeah, Vincent Price was in, yeah. in the original uh-huh. film version, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they did the Charles. Oh, Heston. by the way, here's the uh, here's the dog with the horn on it. I, I this yeah. always cracks me up every time I see this episode. Yes. Is that dog? Is that that poor thing? Yeah. I wonder if, the, if that's just a naturally uh, calm dog, or they had to give it something to keep it settled down. It's got stuff stuck all over it. And a yeah. fake tail. Yeah, it does. It does. You know, show some aggressive tendencies later. So it was probably just one of those really good, you know, uh, you know, uh, trained Hollywood animals. Spray painted pink or tan, whatever that <laughs> yes. is. And I'm glad in the remastered versions uh, they didn't really screw with that dog too much. Yeah. So he also wrote a stir of echoes, which was also made into a movie, and what dreams may come. He also, uh, in addition to all of that, he wrote 16 episodes of The Twilight Zone, including wow. Nightmare at 20,000 Feet, oh, which also Shatner starred classic. William Shatner, yeah. and an episode of the show called Steel, which the movie, which was based on a short story, which inspired the movie Real Steel, which came out um, a few years back. Wow. How many degrees to Kevin Bacon on that one? Right. So now we have a little bit of transporter problems, which are going to sort of um, get this whole episode in, in motion. So a crew member, uh, he he beams up with a hand injury and some uh, yeah, yellow ore, yellow ore on his, uh, which actually now looks more like paint than it did <laughs> when it was on the actual planet's surface. It looked more like a dust. Now it kind of looks like a, almost looks like like uh, something threw up on him. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> there's a little alternate. Uh, there's another one of those Star Trek geese this time yeah. in red, like the bathrobe. Yeah, it's kind of uh, yeah, like a little jumper or something. I kind of liked um, Scotty's interaction here with the crew member. Um, I don't know for some reason it, I just I just liked his his delivery and, and the way he interacted with him. Um, I don't know. It, it kind of showed. Uh, I don't know how how professional he is and how good he is at his job. I guess. Yeah, I think you only see uh, there's I think there's only one episode in the future where you see Scotty kind of loses cool, mm-hmm. and uh, you know it's over a woman, of course. But that's you know for mm-hmm. the most part, Scotty is one of the most professional yeah. people on the ship. He doesn't seem to lose his cool, which is a great thing, which is part partially why he's so heroic over the course of this entire yeah. franchise. I think. Mm-hmm. Now this episode. Um really has me worried about the transporter uh technology yeah right <laughs> and how often people put their they put their faith in it in uh, starfleet so kirk has come off and something uh, seems off so uh scotty's gonna escort him to sick bay and it's interesting here that uh kirk says don't leave the transporter room unattended which is like movie yeah, and TV it's a foreboding. Way, yeah way of saying uh-oh something's about oh, to happen oh nah, boy we have this unattended transporter somehow beaming up an alternate version. And, of course, he's standing the other way, so <laughs> yes. you can't see his face. So he can do this dramatic turn 
Here's the dramatic turn with the lighting. The great reveal. <laughs> oh, it's beautiful. Yes. What a great, great intro. Yeah, to this. and actually, that shot um, was probably framed by director Leo Penn, hmm? who uh, is dad to Sean Penn and Chris Penn and Michael Penn. Spectacular. And he actually became a director after his acting career went south. Really? Because he was one of those um, actors who had gotten called to the um, House Un-American Activities Committee huh. back in the 50s when they were trying to find uh, communists and he oh, refused shit. to name names. Yeah. So he was blacklisted and he had to find another way to, to provide for his oh. family and he became a director. Wow. So uh, in addition to Star Trek, he went on to direct shows like Dr. Kildare, I Spy, Gunsmoke, Hawaii Five-0, Bonanza, Mar- Marcus Welby, M.D., Kojak, Barnaby yeah. Jones, Heart to Heart, Trapper oh. John, M.D., Magnum P.I., and Matlock. And he Matlock. Died- he died in 1998. Matlock, but- <laughs> one of my eternal favorites. I, you know, it, it never ceases to amaze me how many episodes and movies there were in the Matlock series. Mm-hmm. So The ship looks really, really good in these remasters. Yeah, I love it. Um, the one thing about the, the original episodes is, you, you know, know they, they were using a great looking model. Yeah. You know, just, a, just a, a, a side note, I just noticed because I've never watched this episode with the subtitling on before. <laughs> uh-huh. We watched it with the subtitling on so the sound doesn't interfere with our recording, but... They were orbiting a uh, a planet called Alpha, and they spelled it A L F A instead of the traditional A L P H A, which you normally think of the word Alpha. I wonder what significance that has, or if that even was. Uh, it must have been written uh, in the show dialogue for them to make the closed captioning for this. So, what one of the significance of spelling it that way was? Yeah, I don't know. I, I think in in the research I did, it was spelled. <laughs> and there's a great mm-hmm. a great Kirk look. I, he's getting, uh, like, I guess. Oh, yeah. Um, recognition as captain, as captain there. Yeah, yeah, he's happy about that. Mm-hmm. Which makes you wonder if if the evil or the alternate version of Kirk that was sort of created by the transporter malfunction, mm. what kind of memories he had? Yeah, that's a good question. So, what it, did did you know? The, the episode seems to imply that it split the good side from Kirk to the from the evil yeah. side. So, what what parts of Kirk? Does it exactly duplicate his memories and experiences mm-hmm. in both? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I don't know. They don't really explore that. So, yeah. you know, Kirk doesn't seem to be suffering. The good Kirk here doesn't seem to be just suffering any memory loss. Other than nah. he's got some fatigue, yeah. apparently. So, so here's uh, uh, more of that um, futuristic medicine. He's got a, a spray bottle and uh, McCoy is, is basically uh, telling this guy you're going to be all healed up and, and ready to go back to work. And here is Evil Kirk demanding sorry and brandy, which I, I love about this series. Is there's so many different, uh, so many different alcoholic beverages from so many different planets. But did you ever notice that all of them just have the name of a planet or a culture, and then a regular traditional Earth alcohol mm-hmm. names? So you have brandy, yeah. uh, you know, Romulan ale. So it's, it's, they have brandies and ale. So there's only the same types of yeah, booze yeah. across the universe, just with different. Uh, distinctions from what planet or culture they're from. Yeah. And of course, for medicinal purposes, McCoy keeps a healthy yeah. selection of alcohol. <laughs> and that... This that, is a really cool shot. Oh, yeah. It's like a... Almost like um, it's tracking with him. Yeah. It's almost like a... It, it was steady. So whoever yeah. was, was doing the camera work there had a it very was, steady yeah. hand while he was walking backwards. Yeah, and it was pre-steady cam, so... Because I really don't think that was a dolly shot. Yeah. Um, so this bottle that he's drinking from, from is going to pop up in oh, yeah. 
quite a few more episodes. Uh, so we'll note it when it when it occurs again. So now we have um, more Kirk. And I got to tell you, if there's any Star Trek prop I could have, it would be this sort of like Easter Island looking head that that Kirk's got uh, on his uh, on his shelf in the corner of his room. Really? Um, Why is that? It looks cool. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's a good reason. And it's one of those things where I think if somebody looked at it, they wouldn't realize yep. it's from Star Trek right away. Probably not. Probably you, not. You know, uh, whereas opposed to if you had a phaser or something, they'd be like, oh, you know, of course, they'd know. Of course, yeah. Um, so it would be a good conversation starter. Uh-oh. So Spock is is uh, inquiring of Kirk about uh, his behavior, and uh, Kirk is dismissing it as Dr. McCoy having a, a joke at Spock's expense here. Yeah, which definitely seems weird because... It yeah. seems out of character for McCoy. It didn't seem like McCoy yeah. was the type to be a prankster. Yeah, and it, I mean, maybe it presupposes things that we haven't seen. Uh, maybe kind of maybe shed some light on the camaraderie of the three that we don't witness. Mm-hmm. So you know, implying that things happen. Uh, oh, here we go. Yeah, here's here's the, the vicious version <laughs> of the. Uh, so, you know, that's what I would be like if you glued a horn to my head. <laughs> it almost looks like they put that dog in a, in an. In a, in a suit, an entire suit, like a yeah, pullover. It does. Um, it, it looks like the only thing that's real on him that we're seeing is, is, his, is face. his face. Yeah, he's got a little tail hanging off the back there. He's got like a weird rubber spine. And uh, <laughs> and what are those little antenna that are sticking off? Is a little red and white yeah. antenna? It looks like. So now uh-oh. the landing party is um, is stranded. This is before they uh, established that yeah. the, the 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 Enterprise had shuttlecraft. Yeah. Um. That they could send down to the planet's surface. And now we're going to get I, what I have to think is one of the most difficult Star Trek sequences to watch. Yeah, it really is. And, you know, looking back on this scene now, I, I, I question whether or not this should have been played out this way. Watching it again um, after quite a few years of, of not having seen this episode... It definitely played very, very strong to me. And, and considering, uh, I like how Kirk sort of has like eyeliner on here. Yeah. It's like very subtle to make him look a little bit darker. But uh, this scene just, I can't imagine how you know, this played when it originally aired. I mean, it's no. really, it's it's brutal. Yeah, it's it's disturbing. And the thing that I, uh, the thing that really bothers me, well, I mean, other than the fact that this is an attempted sexual assault on, on Yeoman Rand. But the thing that really bugs me about this is if you break this scene down and and think about what it's really saying is, uh, you know, in the previous episodes, you, you can kind of tell Kirk sort of had a little bit of a thing for Rand, but he couldn't really do much about it because of his position and whatever, yeah. what have you. And we know from reading a, a lot of the, the um, you know, Roddenberry's memoirs and some of the cast memoirs that originally the storyline was supposed to continue on with Kirk and Rand having a, a, a relationship mm-hmm. But the thing that bugs me about this scene, other than the fact that it's a sexual assault mm. or an attempted sexual assault, is the fact that we're we're supposing that this behavior that Kirk is exhibiting now is actually a part of him as a person, but it's manifesting itself because his good side is not there to keep it in check. Yeah, yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. So Kirk has an inner rapist, right? <laughs> and I don't think that that's very – I don't think that's accurate. I don't I, – I really didn't want to believe that Kirk would do something like this. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't really want to believe he even had this in him. But I guess you could say that maybe, well, I don't know. It's hard to explain that away in my own mind. I yeah, don't know. but I think that is pretty much what this episode speaks to. Right, right. Um, 
and uh, I can only imagine what that crew member was thinking. Um, but it, it almost sort of speaks to the fact that inside all of us, mm-hmm. there is the sort of extreme good and the extreme evil. And it's mm. almost the two together almost balance each other out. So I, I never really thought yeah. about it in terms of like Kirk having a <laughs> an so, inner rapist. Um, yeah, well, if you think, you know, it's, it's great that you just said that because, you know, I, I had written down my, uh, my notes on the theme slash philosophy of this particular mm-hmm. episode and you just almost recited them verbatim. Mm-hmm. So I, looking at this episode as a whole, you know, it's, it would seem that the philosophy or, or the theme of this episode is that people have a good and an evil side. And we need both of them in balance, you know, to, to, to survive. But, you know, what happens when the balance of the two is tipped? Mm-hmm. So what happens when one person happens to have a 60% evil side and a 40% good side or yeah. 70%, 30%? Um, you know, and if the evil side has total control, like we're seeing here, do we all become murderous maniacs? Is that mm-hmm. what happens to us? Mm-hmm. Really? I, I don't know, because I, I guess I've never separated my evil side and my good side, but I would like to think that that animalistic side of me isn't there, but maybe mm-hmm. in reality it is there. Yeah. And uh, on the on the converse, as we'll see here, as as Kirk, uh, the good side of Kirk continues to to develop and lose more of the evil parts, uh, he becomes kind of more weak willed and yeah. wishy washy. Mm-hmm. So w- would that happen to us mm-hmm. if we were quote unquote all good? Yeah, he he slowly loses his ability to be a captain, basically. Yeah. Now, mm-hmm. and here we see uh, Janice ran post attack. Yeah, and you can imagine how difficult it is for her to, yeah. to sit here and with her with the person that just attacked her, and uh, they basically noticed that um, she had scratched the the evil Kirk version, um, and he doesn't have a scratch. And it's weird because at this point, it almost seems like Kirk and Spock put together the idea that there's probably an alternate version of Kirk on the ship. From a from the transport malfunction, but then they act, act shocked later when well, it's fully discovered. Yeah, well, you know, I, I uh, I've seen this episode a handful of times mm-hmm. over the years, and it always surprises me that Spock jumps right to this conclusion. <laughs> he jumps right to this out of all the bizarre, weird yeah. things, out of shapeshifters, yeah, yeah. apparitions. Mm-hmm. You, uh, uh, you know, Kirk could have had some sort of a of a of a healing thing that he could have used on his face. Uh-huh. Kirk, uh, Spock jumps right to. There's obviously an imposter mm-hmm. on board. Mm-hmm. Well, it's it's kind of easy to assume that Spock would make that that leap after the the dog and the transporter. True, you know? true, true. But it's weird, uh, it, you know. It, it it just seems like they they put this force of the, as a theory and then really forget about it, <laughs> and then kind of act surprised when They're they like, realize. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. By the way, <laughs> it almost seems like they cut it out of out of sequence or something. Yeah. Um, the other interesting thing about this episode is, in, in addition to being incredibly entertaining, it's really one of the episodes where not a lot happens. It, no, actually. <laughs> you know, I mean, it really sort of it exists just to put forth the theory of what would happen if you mm. split Kirk in half. <laughs> yeah, and I guess uh, from another angle, you could also say that it maybe it um, it illustrates you know Kirk's constant inner struggle between uh, uh, you know his compassionate side and his more aggressive side, mm-hmm. which when combined 
make him this fantastic captain that he is, right? Mm-hmm. So does, does a are the qualities of a great starship captain this balance between uh you know compassion and aggression? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, the implication, of course, is, you know, Kirk, the implication of both of these sides being separated is that Kirk has two extremes. Mm-hmm. You know, he's not like, a you know, in the middle on the good side and in the middle on the bad side. He's really wishy-washy on one side and really horrible mm-hmm. on the evil side. Yeah. So, so we, we've learned that the um, the temperature on the on the planet's going to keep going down as as uh the night progresses and it's going to reach negative 120 degrees mm-hmm. and sulu and a couple other uh members of the crew are, are trapped down there with with very little and um it's interesting because i mentioned earlier that the 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 um the shuttlecrafts hadn't been introduced yet yeah and, so- and how do you explain that away as part of the greater continuity of this show yeah later on <laughs> i mean we the shuttlecraft gets some heavy use. Actually, in a couple episodes from now, I believe we start seeing some some shuttlecraft use. So I guess we're meant to assume that, you know, they're not here at this point mm-hmm. or, or they're out of service, but they don't really talk about it much. Yeah, I, one thing I'm, inter- I'm interested in as we sort of cover this entire show is at what point is the show going to peak, if you will, or hit its stride or really sort of be fully formed? Mm-hmm. There's got to be an episode where that happens because yeah. I mean we're at the point yeah. now where episodes are still being run out of order. Yep. Um. We're we're very very early in the production run, so it, it'll be it'll be interesting for me at least to see when we it's really gonna yeah leave nothing to question like here where you go well yeah. where are the shuttlecrafts why don't they just go down and get them? <laughs> yeah. Hold that thought for one second because yeah. this particular scene I, I think is an a really good integral scene in this episode because you're seeing Spock. Look at how serious Spock looks. He's lecturing Kirk mm-hmm. on showing vulnerability. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in Spock's mind, if Kirk shows the slightest yeah. bit of wavering, he's going to lose his complaint command completely. I mean, I think that's extreme, but, uh, you know, Spock does have a point there, but I, 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 Mm-hmm. I thought that that dialogue by Spock was a little uh, a little extreme. Yeah, but I think it also illustrates what separates a captain of a starship yeah. from a crew member of a starship. Yeah. Yeah. And it, if anything, it illustrates that not any schmuck. Oh yeah. Or or For you know sure. you know you could work as hard as you want. Yeah. You may never and, reach that level. <laughs> yeah, it's true. And we'll see. It's a great overhead shot of Kirk. There. Yeah. Um, we'll see not long from now what happens. When uh, another highly regarded Enterprise crew member gets a chance to be in command mm-hmm. uh, in in a crisis situation and how well it doesn't work out. But back to your earlier point here, I think that this is going to be a good thing for us to watch out for is what at what point does the show become fully baked? Quote yeah, unquote. Yeah, yeah. Where do we have all of the elements mm-hmm. that we consider uh, the, 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 the mythos mm-hmm. of Star Trek, the original series yeah yeah you know it's it i'm sure it's going to be pretty soon from now you know, so we st- we're still missing a few things we're still missing the mind meld right we haven't seen yeah, that we yet. have not seen that uh we haven't seen shuttle crafts yet mm-hmm. what else haven't we seen yet um i mean we're still seeing variations in in certain kind of costumes true or uniforms true um, notice kirk doesn't have this the symbol yeah on his uh his dress, dress uniform. uniform here mm-hmm. and it's it's kind of cool that he switched into his dress uniform just sort of 
to yeah, help the audience. Yeah. Uh, oh, and, uh, great performance. Yeah. Kirk has just made an this announcement to the uh, to the entire ship that there's an imposter on, on board. board. And now, yeah. Oh, and he breaks the monitor. Yeah. And you can imagine um, the anger um, in any captain's mind when yeah. he learns that the the. His, his authority has been sort of uh, questioned. Yeah, and when you read some of Shatner's commentary on this episode, he loved this. Sure, yeah, I, I, I can see this. why. Yeah, it let him, uh, it let him branch out mm-hmm. a little bit from from the Kirk role and yeah. kind of go nuts. Mm-hmm. And he does it. I love. He embraces it. He sells it <laughs> so well. Yeah, I mean, we we've we've talked on earlier episodes about you know. William Shatner's approach to acting and, mm-hmm. and his perceived acting ability. Um, and I think another thing that, that this show really, you know, illustrates over the course of its run is that a lot of the parody that comes out mm-hmm. about William Shatner is it's kind of amplified. It's kind of based yeah. on a handful of moments. Sure. Um, and like anybody else, ooh, oh, there we go. Wow. Thankfully, that wasn't a double axe handle. Yeah, that could have been dangerous. <laughs> so now here's the crew down on uh, now, planet. Wait a it's 20 degrees below yeah, zero. Yeah, <laughs> 20 degrees below zero. Uh, yeah, they, they really should have rethought those temperatures, I think. Thermal yeah. heaters are transported down. They duplicate. And they don't work properly. And they won't operate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it oh. almost reaches the point where you watch like Stallone and Cliffhanger and say, Ooh. "Man, he looks really effing cold," and yeah. he sells it. Yeah, Here, he it's it's kind of hard. You you think that there's a yeah. certain point where you get twenty below zero. There are certain body functions that probably shut yeah, down. Right. You know, now Sulu does a good a job of selling it here later on in the episode, where yeah. you know he looks like he's you know fr- partially frozen, but you know, twenty degrees below zero. Mm-hmm. I don't think any of us, you and me, I haven't experienced that. And I, I don't know if how many listeners that we're going to have to this show are going to have experienced temperatures that extreme. No, I'm, yeah. I can remember a very small handful of times in my life where I've experienced sub-zero temperatures, you know, and that was maybe minus two, minus three. Yeah. And that was like, wow, let me get the hell back inside. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, 20 degrees below zero, and he's still in his regular uniform, <laughs> yeah. face fully exposed, <laughs> Talking, they they really should have thought about those temperatures when yeah. they were writing this episode. But oh, now they're searching for um, they're searching for the imposter, the evil Kirk. Uh, this is another really cool uh, cool. So you get some really cool shots of the interior of engineering mm-hmm. in this. Some of the some of the nice machinery they had down there uh, makes for and the mood lighting here is very good too. They were very. Whoever did the lighting for these shows, I have to look that up. They always did a really good job of creating drama with lighting. Yeah. You know, a lot of times you might not think about how much lighting plays into a scene. Mm -hmm. But this scene, I think, really illustrates how lighting can be used at these specific angles. You've got some shadows cast on their faces. It's a little dark, a little foreboding. Mm -hmm. I think it really helps. Yeah, it's one thing sort of shows in the, I guess, the... this time period, um, as compared to today, are a little bit more obvious with their with with the lighting. Um, everything was a little bit more pronounced, mm. um, and I guess you could say it was a little bit more artistic. Um, not to say that stuff today isn't, you know, artsy. You, you had a little, a jump, little cut jump cut there. there, yeah. And there's more drama and this lighting. Yeah. You know, you see these shadows and. Uh, 
you know, it's a really good thing that they had the, the two Kirks in their different outfits for this as well. So now you can you can have a frame of reference. Like, okay, this is good Kirk. Yeah, even with a little bit of makeup on uh, bad Kirk's face. Um. You know, even the, the, the facial expressions that Shatner does here for good Kirk versus bad Kirk, mm-hmm. they're fantastic. Oh, yeah. And, and I imagine from an acting perspective, having the the different uniforms on was probably a good sort of tool for Shatner as well. Oh, sure. Because it gave him, uh, if he ever got lost in a scene, you just look down and say, oh, I'm in my my dress uniform. I'm good Kirk. And I made a little mistake though there earlier. He does have the insignia, but it's at the bottom of the shirt. Mm -hmm. Here we have the face off. And we have some, some, some nice body double work and, going on here you know this is this is great because this is not the first time kirk will be duplicated yeah. in an episode of star trek and in fact uh two episodes from now he'll be duplicated again so <laughs> we're gonna be talking about kirk being duplicated but in another way yeah. uh yes here we go you know he's reasoning this out too yeah that the the evil kirk can't kill himself yeah as evil as he is he can't pull the trigger and uh you know kill that part of himself and and you know the evil side of kirk understands this and i think he, he can communicate through that irrational mm-hmm. anger mm-hmm. one thing i noticed in this episode and i actually looked it up just to make sure that i oh. wasn't sort of noticing something um, and we have the nerve pinch. pitch um and they eat and they they damage the they either damage damage the transporter here, or they reveal something that was causing the um, the problem with the transporter. Because Scotty will will reference that that uh, that damage later. Mm. But um, a full score was written for this episode, really. Which is when I was watching it, I noticed how sort of cinematic the score sounds. Hmm. And this is one of a small group for which a full score was written in, and this one was written by Saul Kaplan, um, Jeff Bond. Um, a Star Trek author notes, although he wrote only two scores for the series, New York composer Saul Kaplan's music was tracked endlessly throughout the show's first two seasons. Mm-hmm. The Enemy Within is a thrillingly intellectual score by turns overcome with compassion for Kirk's plight and clinically detached in its melodic experimentation with the situation. The aggressive, threatening, evil Kirk music made major contributions by being tracked into other episodes. Huh. So um, next time you watch this episode with sound or... Mm-hmm. Um, it is something to take note of because um, it seems like they would fully score certain episodes and then sort of cherry pick from them to sort of uh, create sequences uh, for future episodes. So this this scene, you know, we're seeing the scientific part of Spock here, mm-hmm. you know, really enjoying the fact that he can analyze some of, of human nature uh, as he's realize that that both of these kirks are halves of each other mm-hmm. the negative side and the oh see and he's going to theorize here the power of command is going to elude mm-hmm. kirk because he needs this uh this anger or this aggression side of himself mm-hmm. you have your intellect jim you can fight mm-hmm. yeah and the doctor of course is taking the uh the softer side yeah they're doing the the glass half empty glass yeah, half, half full, full sort yeah, of yeah. approach so and they're also uh, the doctor is also uh, supposing that intellect is an attribute of the good side, mm-hmm. uh, and and uh, 
you know, base instinct, acting on instinct is part of the evil side, which I guess mm-hmm. it's kind of played out in this episode that way. Oh, here's uh, yeah. here's the Scotty founding a, a new trouble. Yeah. yeah. And that was the a result of the, the phaser blast. Yep. Yep. Um, Control circuit is gone yeah. altogether. Now, the only thing I didn't understand was whether that was revealed, like the fact that they that blast created that hole for Scotty to see it or that caused the trouble trouble after the fact and. Now they're at what, 41 they degrees below zero. In? That looks like a parachute. parachute. <laughs> the heck is that? And this is pretty, uh, uh, you know, Sulu I kind of. I love the fact that he mentions a pot of hot coffee yeah. so that now we know for sure that hot coffee exists in the 23rd century. Yeah, yeah. And I also like the uh, the the image it created when Sulu said, can, Rice you, drop wine. A, <laughs> can you drop a, large ro- a long rope down? Mm. Uh, they're probably, you know, hundreds of miles above the surface. And, uh, you know, and I, never mind. I was going to say something, but I think I'll skip that. Uh, <laughs> so we're getting some details here of our transporter issues. Yeah. And it's going to take them a week to repair this, which a was week. another thing that I thought was a kind week. of. 20 degrees below zero. <laughs> How long can the average human last yeah. in 20 degrees below zero? But also, what kind of repairs in any scenario are going to take a week to do. <laughs> I mean, you know, you think most repairs, if something's going to take a week, you say, you know what? We're just going to rebuild the fucker. You know what yeah. I mean? <laughs> like, yeah. Or, you know, or we got to take it into the star base. Yeah. I mean, 75 I, degrees below zero. Yeah, it's still dropping. And, uh, and here we're going to see a mechanic that gets used in other episodes. Yeah. Heating a rock mm-hmm. with a phaser. Yeah. Well, this really warmth. illustrates the different, levels of a phaser you yep, know in addition yep. to just having the the stun or the kill it's also able to almost like a microwave heat from within <laughs> you know uh inanimate objects i notice uh sulu sulu just said we should give room service another call so does that suppose there are still hotels with room service that he could use that as a reference Guess yeah, you know. I guess down in maybe the... maybe on the ship they have room service in the quarters, <laughs> right? You got a yeoman. The yeoman will bring you some stuff to your room. Yeah, uh, within certain hours. I hope the pricing's at least better than uh, hotels. Well, I hope they're not paying a thirteen dollar chicken sandwich uh, or something. You know what? The, the, I don't think the, the the they don't mention money yeah. on board the ship at all. Yeah. So maybe, and I think Picard uh, says in in I think it was first contact. That they, uh, you know, mankind evolved uh, beyond the, uh, the 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 need for um, you know wealth as a mm-hmm. as a, 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 a uh, why am I words are escaping me here? Yeah, like a status. A sta- uh, yeah, yeah, as a their goal in life is not material yeah, possession yeah. or wealth. Mm-hmm. It's it's you know intellectual and scientific truth, I guess. So maybe that that principle has held uh, uh, in the. You know, yeah. in the early years. Although here, they, the they talk about series. credits at some point, don't they? Do maybe they do. Yeah, I don't know. And here now, the the evil Kirk is is gonna die, and we get this really really great scene where um, the good Kirk comes over, holds hands with the evil Kirk, and basically talks him down. Hmm. He talks yeah. him out of dying. Yeah, which um, is really a, a, a great scene. From a performance standpoint, oh, it really shows the um, the level of emotion that that Shatner could sort of hit as an actor. Yeah, this and here scene we have always a... stood out to me too. Mm-hmm. 
and he's telling him not to be afraid. I mean, they, you could see that, you know, he's got a, a, a there's a genuine tenderness in the good side yeah. of Kirk here. And even though, you know, this 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 evil Kirk has done some questionable things on the ship, you know, the the, the good Kirk is still. Mm-hmm. And there he is. He, he realizes he has to fight and is thankfully. And then is, no, he's normalizing. His levels are normalizing. Yeah. And he passes out. So this is yeah. another one of those episodes where they've got what is seemingly an impossible, you know, scenario in front yeah. of them. Um, and, you know, it's it's one of those things where you think, you know, how are they going to resolve this? Um, and then also, what would be the ramifications of having two Kirks? You know, yeah, really. Like, <laughs> uh and you know, here you have the gonna, good Kirk sort of, you know, he's sort of talking down the, the, the evil Kirk behind his back, yeah, and which he, and doesn't help. The evil Kirk overheard him uh, talking about bringing him back inside himself. Mm-hmm. So, you know, this is going to set the evil Kirk off into a, uh, you know, a self-preservation mode yeah. where he's not going to want to go back. He wants to continue to exist on his own. You know, Spock is right. Back to McCoy is... Uh, yeah, and, and yeah. Yeah, McCoy's reinforcing the fact that he yep. takes both, um, you know, both sides of the captain, sort of like a Reese's peanut butter cup. You need the peanut butter and the chocolate in order to create that great taste. Sure, and that's why white chocolate Reese's cups don't work for me. <laughs> but dark chocolate Reese's cups do. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, it's, uh, I, yeah, I can see that. The only the only thing about this, like I said, that I, I was questioning was... The extreme of the of the the bad side of Kirk because mm-hmm. yeah, just it's too it, much for you. I, I think it's it's a lot for me to take in that uh, you know the good side of Kirk has to keep all of these uh, these parts of himself in check that I don't wouldn't necessarily think would exist. You know, mm-hmm. if Kirk had a choice to be evil, I just don't see him. Well, maybe I you know mm-hmm. I'm, I'm way off apparently. Well, yeah, and that's I, that dog again. Yeah, and this is where uh, Scotty thinks he's uh, he's cracked the code, if you will. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, he does his uh, scientific or his uh, you know uses his you know uh, he's at the height of his engineering powers here, and yep. he, he finds Dramatic a way to uh, send the send the animal back through with its double, and and uh, basically they're they're together. not going to beam him all the way down. They're going to send him yeah. into wherever. You know, I break into, all the particles down and reassemble into them. the transport buffer. Yeah, and here's uh, Spock is going to give the uh, the little one, uh, the dog, mm-hmm. a, the evil dog, a, a sedative here yeah, just to calm him down. Ooh, that's an evil looking dog. Scotty has got him. Yeah, yeah, and, there's and here's the, the passionate, uh, the passionate Kirk. Don't hurt him. More dramatic lighting. The lighting in this episode yeah. is spectacular. I really love this. Stop. The barking has stopped. The dog has been knocked out. And again, they, like like on the... Uh, they put them on the same <laughs> transporter pad. Yes. This is almost... It made me think of sort of the uh, Jeff Goldblum version of, of the fly. Fly, right, right, right. Brundlefly. <laughs> yes. Brundlefly. So now we learn that there were actually two separate dogs, weren't there? Yeah, although... Oh, that might be a doll. 
Yeah, it could just be the. I mean, it's not moving, so it could just be the suit stuffed with a. Uh... Well, we're gonna have to pause this at some point <laughs> in the future and, and zoom in on that that second dog there. Maybe that. You know, you know it looks pretty dog like to yeah. me, but. So now and away they go. He's gone off into. He's... Into the transport buffer. Yeah. And, and it takes a while. It takes a while. The computer's got to calculate a lot of stuff. Mm. You know, when Goldblum and the Fly merged, <laughs> that was almost instantaneous. Yeah. Uh, now, now, now again, sort of, you know, as I referenced earlier in the episode, I don't know how comfortable I'd be with tech, uh, transporter technology, you know? <laughs> no, and, it, you know, a lot of transporter mishaps happen over the course of the show and the movies. Yeah. So, um, but, you know, one thing that's also really interesting to think about is, uh, aside from the bad things that can happen in a transporter, imagine all the good things they could do with it as well. They could probably take things out of you. So, oh. say, for instance, you had gotten shot or you had a piece of shrapnel in you, they could probably, to put you in the transport buffer, just take that part and subtract that stuff out and rematerialize you. Yeah, with a, with a, I guess with a good transporter uh, operator. Yeah, even great um, algorithms and, and yeah. uh, whatnot. <laughs> but I think in in one of the movies they have a pretty gruesome transporter yeah, malfunction. Yeah, the first uh, motion picture. Motion picture. Yeah, that was before. Yeah, that was the first person to transport over. Apparently, they're having some some sort of issues. Now look at this. Spock wearing a phaser on the bridge. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How often does that happen? Yeah. See, that's one of those things where the sh- the show when it's fully baked. You don't see that. You kind won't of see stuff. that. I mean, you won't yeah, even well, see. Oh, and there's the, oh, the dog died. Don't let good Kirk know. Yeah. Up. Uh, and Spock is walking all over the ship with a phaser. Yeah. There'll be a point where the phasers aren't seen until they actually need them. Yeah, so yeah. we're still at a point where the show doesn't look and feel exactly like it should. Yeah. Daniel was terrified and confused. Yeah. So Spock is saying that the as an animal, it couldn't understand what was happening to it. And that ultimately yeah. caused its death. So now we can theorize that Kirk could survive yeah. because he has his intelligence controlling yeah. his he, he understands what's supposed to happen here. Yeah. But they are painting that sort of idea that, oh, my God, you know, Kirk's got to choose here, you mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. And um, I'd imagine that if it happened to me, there wouldn't really be much of a choice. You got to put it's it back one of together. You Nothing have you to, can do. you know. Yeah, I, he has no choice. I don't think any of us would have a choice in this particular situation. But it's just a matter of uh, how successful would we be? Would 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 uh, would we be able to uh, retain our sanity? You know what what would happen if the uh, the intermixture wasn't wasn't right? You know what yeah. if what if Scotty had the balance off? Ooh. And my TV just reset itself for Uh-oh. some reason. Um, but the episode's still playing. So. Oh, here we go. <laughs> uh, all right, we're back. We're back. Yeah, that was we, very we didn't weird. Miss anything? Yeah, uh, the the Blu-ray player never stopped. Wow. Um, but the interesting thing here is that Kirk th- thought about it, and it wasn't until Spock uh-huh. reminded him that there were men yeah. down on the planet that he said, of like, course oh, I have I to have go to through with this. Yep. So, yeah, so he's, he he's, starting to, he's doubting, he, he's, he's losing faith in his ability to, to command, make the right, right decision. Yep. Yeah. Well, and he's asking for somebody else to make the decision, and that's very, very significant. Mm-hmm. For Kirk. Now you're really seeing... And Spock is asking if he's relinquishing his command. Yeah. No. You know, that's the thing about Spock in this episode, man. <laughs> Spock is... He wants he, it. He, I think over the course of the series... Goes, he goes s- back and forth. Yeah. Sometimes he wants it. Sometimes yeah. he doesn't. Mm-hmm. 
But I mean, there's other episodes of this series that we'll yeah. talk about when we get to them where yeah. Kurt, Spock's happy to take the take the chair and and uh, and yeah. take the command. And other times he's not though. Yeah. Other times really. he'll tell you, I'm I have no desire mm. to have a ship of my own. Yeah. It'll be fun to see those uh, see those those episodes. Uh, you know, when when that scenario presents itself. Sure. Sure. And see, you know, and Kirk's got a phaser too. Yeah. Now this seems like another one of those convenient sort of TV or movie moments where Kirk is going to escort the the evil version of himself down to the transporter area by himself, <laughs> even yeah. though he is equipped with a phaser. He's in a weakened state really emotionally. Not the greatest of ideas, you know. It, it just seems like one of those things where they could have been like, you know what, get two security guys up here uh, and, and, and uh, we'll do this together. Mm. So now here's Sulu. He's basically saying we're, we're really on our, our last legs here. We're, and this is a great partially frozen Sulu. Yeah. 117 <laughs> below. No way in hell would he even be alive anymore. Well, There's you don't no know way. how you don't know how advanced the, those blankets are. Come they on, could man. Be a... <laughs> Come on, man. He's he's losing Let's his be sight. Realistic. Re- reality doesn't change. Yep. So <laughs> so now we're still, uh, you know, Kirk is still being a little indecisive here about what to do. You know, he's starting to turn into a, a really uh, gelatinous <laughs> mass. You know, Simon's turned to jelly, yes. as it were. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I was thinking of, a little airplane reference yeah, there. Yeah. yeah. Now he's hearing Sulu, you know. And he's having a he's having a really hard time coming up with anything uh, inspirational to say at this point. Mm-hmm. So yeah, he can't even he can't even function. He knows he can't continue like this. Mm-hmm. Can't wait. He's got to do it now. Yeah. So this I think this uh can't let he's he he realizes. I don't think he has, feels like he has time to call in security. He's got to mm-hmm. get them down to the transporter immediately because Sulu is in his death throes, mm-hmm. uh, as well as the other. Uh, mm-hmm. You'd almost imagine, though, that there would have been some kind of instructions to say, you know what, mm. let's just never leave the captain alone. Yeah, really, he can't be entirely trusted now, to to take care of himself. True. Now. <laughs> Here's another uh, – you were talking about plot convenience before. Why – all he would have to do is just stun him yeah. with that phaser uh-huh. and drag him down there, right? Yeah. Why does he have to you know, allow him to walk by himself? Just just set it to stun, uh, zap him, and here we go. He's playing possum. And now we realize our mistakes. Oh. oh Kirk. And, oh. And, oh. Ooh. And, Good Kirk's no match for evil nah, Kirk when it comes to... He's too weak. Oh, right in the face with that phaser. Mm-hmm. Pistol whipped. Yep. And, and now, the first thing evil Kirk decides is he's got to finish the job that he didn't mm-hmm. earlier. And yeah. I got to say that Rand has to have an increased sort of, you know, defense mechanism yeah. here. Yeah. I mean, I'd imagine it's something that bothered her for the rest of her service. I uh, I would think so. I would think so. Mm-hmm. And 
Yeah, now see, see, she's in a bad position here because, you know, he's the captain. She's his his, uh, you know, he, he's her. Uh, she's his yeoman, yeah. and, and she kind of has to do what he wants. And uh, you know, and, and he evil Kirk saying, "We're leaving orbit. We're leaving them down on the planet. Prepare to leave orbit." <laughs> See, and this is why you don't leave good Kirk alone. Yep. And here we go. Now we've got the reveal. (laughs) (laughs) We have the classic. It's not me. It's It's him. It's it's him. uh, And, you know, we'll see this done uh, a couple more times, too, mm -hmm. with Kirk. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, in Star Trek Six is another classic one. Oh, with the shapeshifter. With the shapeshifter. Yeah, yeah. It's not me. It's him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And assuming that we continue this show, um, we will eventually talk about all of the movies and the, you know the original cast did. Yeah. <laughs> and now we're gonna leave it up to Spock to figure it out, huh? Spock can always tell. Yeah. And he still got the, you know, even though I think it was referenced, the, the scratch on his face. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's pretty obvious. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, and here we go. Oh, it's great. I love this performance. <laughs> yeah. Oh, he just tosses the guy for no reason. Yeah. <laughs> just grabs him by the head and throws him across the bridge. Oh, uh-oh. Uh, He's armed. And Kirk somewhere got another phaser. There's that lighting again. With the scratch on the other side of his face, too, by the way. Oh, good was, good eye. Was, uh, so I don't know if they flipped that shot or if the... Ma- yeah, look at that. There it is. Good eye. little continuity issue there. Yeah, or they flipped the shot, maybe? Or they, yeah, maybe they... Yeah, I it's don't possible. Know. That lighting. And now it's the evil version breaking down and saying mm-hmm. he doesn't want to go. Pleading for his uh, yeah. independence. But, you know, I, he has to know. Mm-hmm. Uh, this mm-hmm. is probably one of those acting moments that, that <laughs> yeah. people uh, use yeah. to uh, to yeah. to make fun of Shatner. Yeah. It's yeah. great. And there's the hug. Love it. I don't know. I would like, I think it would be kind of cool to be able to sort of hug yourself. Yeah. You know, you I, think know? Th- I think we've all reached points in our life where. Yeah, we just needed that hug. And yeah, who could probably give you a better hug than yourself? Yeah, especially when you're going through something and you're trying yeah. to work through it in your own mind and uh-huh. and uh, yeah, and here we go, the grand experiment. Yeah. See if Kirk will survive mm-hmm. being fused back together, and the obvious concern on McCoy's face, and Kirk giving him the nodding smile. Everything's fine, man. Mm-hmm. We've been through this before. Yeah. Now where are the and where's Scotty? Well, yeah, we're, I guess Scotty wasn't trusted to. Uh, yeah, Scotty, you screwed this. this up last time with the dog. We can't let yeah. you do this again. But now you got to wonder where does the, the the extra clothes go? Where do the extra boots go? <laughs> delete a computer can just delete them. It's the it's the transporter, man. They yeah. broke them up in all the molecules. It can say, well, oh, we got a duplicate shirt here. Mm-hmm. Let's just delete. Actually, you know, maybe it transported them into the captain's drawer back in the maybe in back, quarters, yeah. man. Maybe it's that sophisticated. Because that is not the shirt that was created by the transporter when the double was created. Oh. 
because he he switched into the dress uniform. That's another really good point. Now we've also realized that if the transporter is capable of duplicating mm-hmm. someone, it's capable of creating matter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It created which those, we know yeah. is beyond the laws of physics. <laughs> matter cannot be created nor destroyed, but mm-hmm. the transporter created a Kirk out of seemingly nothing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And now he's back. In in full in full command of his powers, and he's boom. He's making decisions instantly. So the crew is back up, and, and uh, yeah, frostbite abounds. Yep. So as we wrap up this episode, I think it's a, a good time to discuss whether this is an essential episode. Great time. And um, I, I I guess I'll I'll go to you first because normally I have to make the initial assessment. <laughs> so I'm going to throw this one in your in your uh, okay. Well, I am prepared to say at this point in time that this is absolutely 100% essential episode from my opinion. Oh, wow. So many great moments in this episode. Uh, so much great performances by Shatner, despite the fact that that's the questionable uh, assault scene with Rand. Uh, I, I would I would question the need for that scene or the or the um, the potential for for uh, a better execution or, or ex- a better rewrite of that particular part of the episode but i think that you learn a lot about kirk as a person in this episode by separating out the two pieces you mm. learn a lot about his internal struggles and what he goes through uh, to, to balance himself and be a great captain you're seeing right here uh that he's you know he's repairing that relationship mm-hmm. with Rand. you know that had to be an awkward thing yeah um, there's some even Spock's a little awkward in this, but I think it's a good uh, a, a good performance and a good a bit of character building on the on the part of Spock and McCoy and Scotty. So you see a lot of good character development mm-hmm. pieces throughout this episode. So I'll definitely say, and there's a little smirk from Spock, mm-hmm. another great overhead shot of Kirk. Yeah. But I think this episode is totally, in my own uh, estimation, mm-hmm. in my own uh, lineup, I, I definitely would call this an essential. Mm-hmm. Episode. All right, I am going to tell you that. Your sort of assessment um, changed my mind because mm. I was initially going to say that in, in terms of being essential, I did not think this was an essential episode. But based on your wow, your argument, I'm on. I will go. I will. I will get on board with you and and, and say that this is worthy of being marked an essential wow. episode of Star Trek: The I Original feel, Series. Feel very honored by that. <laughs> very. So honored. here we are, uh, wrapping up another episode. This one was a lot of fun to watch. A great fun to watch. Um, I always love this one. A lot of fun to talk about. Uh, there were some interesting concepts that it brought up. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um, it had some incredible talent behind the scenes. Absolutely. And that, that this is one of the best episodes for demonstration of Star Trek dramatic lighting uh-huh. of all the episodes there are. I think this mm-hmm. one makes some of the greatest use of lighting, uh, especially to illustrate the good, the good versus the bad mm-hmm. Kirk. All right, so we're going to wrap this week up. We will be back next week where we talk about Mud's Women. All right, take it easy, everybody. Thanks for listening. I have to take him back inside myself. I can't survive without him. I don't want to take him back. He's like an animal. A thoughtless, brutal animal. Yet it's me. Me.